politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for the issues that matter in the way they matter and the time they matter. Here at CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back again for a brand new week. It is Monday. It is the 13th. Feels more like Friday the 13th uh, with really the nightmare we all face. There's no way out. This Republican Party is just as broken, if not worse, than it was in 2016. No, the party has not changed because of Trump. No, the party has not changed because of a new speaker. It's the same old. They're going to go with a clean, continuing resolution funding all of Biden's dirty policies come midnight, Friday, uh, Friday at midnight. And in fact, they can't even go up to the deadline. They have to make it clear, no, there won't be any government shutdown, even though we have the ultimate government shutdown of life, liberty, property, the social compact. It's not working. There's nothing clean about it. We should want a clean border. But instead, we're funding a dirty Biden administration. And nothing has changed. Like I said many times, if we got a bunch of voices together... The top voices in so-called conservative media would get together in a room, pray together, strategize together. There is a lot that we can get done, especially with the left being so radical and destructive. I think there could be a great reawakening, but that would require us to move off the current paradigm, which is the worst, lowest common denominator of the Trump establishment and the main establishment, as I've said before, and no one wants to do that. Even though there is a huge chance that DeSantis could win Iowa if you only, you know, got behind him. And not that he's the end all. As I said before, I care more about making red states red than even federal elections. But that is not happening and will not happen if you don't take the guy who had the best red state and elevate him to promote a paradigm in that mold rather than dumping on him. Like, I keep saying it's not about Congress is broken. The presidency is broken. Let's just focus locally. But the problem is we're not doing that. And when we do, we have the same candidates we have in GOP leadership in the House and Senate reflected in the red states and sometimes even worse, like we talked about last week with the Wyoming governor. So nothing changes. Ultimately, you and I both know in our heart of hearts You need a new party. We need a new party. But until there's money to be made, books to be sold, cable news shows and podcasts to be had in a new party, there will not be a new party. And that's what's sad. The Republican Party is broken head to toe. They don't share our values. So I'm not sure what to do. All we could do is turn to God and understand that what we're doing is not working and, and we just need some sort of salvation. Psalm 71.8, for you are my only hope, Lord. I've hung on to you, trusting in you all my life. It was you who supported me from the day I was born, loving me, helping me through my life's journey. You've made me into a miracle. No wonder I trust you and praise you forever. And hopefully with that, we'll, we'll get some sort of avenue of salvation that we don't yet see. But this Republican Party is broken beyond belief. So over the weekend, and I I warned you guys that Speaker Johnson had no appetite for even a minor government shutdown, even over the strongest issue, a.k.a. the border. The only thing that we would accomplish is now, rather than it being McCarthy, that we would have more leverage over, it would be perceived as one of our own doing that. And uh, But it's all good because it's one of our own. It was the dumbest thing we did, strategically stupid. As I mentioned, on a personal level, he believes in God as a good guy. But strategically, I just didn't see it. So he has this bill that will fund everything. It doesn't have a single policy approach. Okay? A single policy reform, a single spending cut. 
We are reaching biblical levels of individual and government debt. The treasuries are going wild. We're going to have more spending on interest and debt this year than the military and possibly even Medicare, topped only by Social Security. And there is no cut, there's no reform, there's no dealing with the FBI that's still going after Americans despite the ubiquitous Hamas insurrection. We have nothing on the Green New Deal, nothing on the border, certainly nothing on biomedical security state. In fact, this CR on page 24, it's a 32-page bill, it's going to be marked up in Rules Committee. Um, Chip Roy is coming in, he's flying in for the committee hearing uh, and any minute he's going to land. So I'll see if I can get him on the show to give us an update because he's on that critical committee. But the reality is it re... It, 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 I can't believe it, but it actually reauthorizes PAPA, the pandemic and hazard. Um, so, you know, the Assistant Secretary of Pandemic Preparedness and BARDA, those are the agencies that were at the nexus of COVID fascism so we should have used that as a bargaining chip to make certain reforms to the vaccines and stuff like that. Instead, it actually extends it for free. So they get everything. I am now convinced that if if the FBI or some sort of government agency would set up a program one day, maybe to bring in Hamas to rape all Republican women. Okay, it's like, you know, a program. That's what they, they do. And then we would want to, you know, have a showdown to defund that and, you know, once the budget deadline would come, we'd say, we're not funding government anymore unless you stop the rape program. Republicans would say, we can't have a government shutdown. There is nothing that could happen that will evoke from the Republicans a righteous response. Nothing. I mean, there's nothing that could happen that will change it. I thought, look, at least now with the border, you're going to defund, catch, and release. Nothing. So what they're going to do is, so, so what's the nuance? The nuance is, you're saying it's the same thing. When you reach the deadline, oh, actually, we're scared. Here's another CR funding everything you want with no demands. So the thing is that they're going to have a two-step approach. They're going to fund all of government now, every single bad policy, every single bad spending, uh, you know, spending level. But they'll have four of the 12 appropriation bills expire on January 19th. And the other eight on February 2nd. So you see, you know, Johnson was saying, we're going to, we're changing the way things are going to go. Rather than having all 12 bills expire before Christmas and then passing an omnibus and give the Democrats everything they want, we're going to have some of them expire January 19th and some of them expire February 2nd, and then we'll give the Democrats everything they want. This is a classic example of the idiot watches someone who uh, the wise man points to the moon and the idiot focuses on the finger instead of the moon. As I've been warning you, they're making it all about process, 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 process. And I'm like, process is only a means to an end. The reason we opposed omnibus bills or the Christmas crunch is because that was the pressure to do what? To pass bad things that continue the Democrat policies. So the idea was to pass each of the appropriation bills and to fight on them individually. But if this is all born out of the same theme, that you're scared of a, a brinkmanship when that deadline comes, I don't care if it's a CR, if it's all 12 at once, eight here, four there, or the timing, whether it's Christmas, Martin Luther King Day, President's Day, whatever deadline, it doesn't matter. So it's like, oh, you don't like omnibuses? Before Christmas, so we'll do a, a mini bus before MLK Day and then the other one before President's Day. That, that doesn't matter. Johnson said on Sunday, we will not allow the end of your megabus spending packages to continue under my leadership. Well, it's not the timing and packaging. It's the freaking policies. It's just so weird. So bizarre. So this is where we are, we're, we're at. Same as always, nothing has changed one iota. Nothing. The rallying cry 
rather than being we need a clean CR, we need a clean border, which is why we can't continue to fund Biden's dirty invasion and his dirty targeting of Americans for political beliefs while waving in Hamas to do what they want. We have a lot of news on that as well. Unbelievable. Now, this bill is not clean, but I'll tell you what is clean. Very clean, because it's self-cleaning. Miracle-made betting sheets by, by trymiracle.com slash conservative. Okay, so now I've had these sheets for three months, and... You know, you you bear, we we just washed them for the first time. I know that sounds crazy, but they have a self-cleaning technology. It's made out of silver infused fabrics, and there's two things about them. Number one, the the self-cleaning. It lasts three times longer than other sheets. No more bad odor. No more bacteria. By the way, there's tons of bacteria on your sheets that cause skin irritation, acne, all sorts of things. But then there's the other element. I hate being hot. So what happens is you're cold when you go to bed at night in the winter, and then you keep waking up because it's so hot. These sheets have temperature regulation inspired by NASA technology from their silver-infused fabrics. It's literally self-cooling in the middle of the night, and I sleep better every night. A lot of times when you don't have temperature regulation, you don't sleep well. So you got the self-cleaning. You got the self-cooling. They're really – you have the luxurious feel, but – you know, some of those other brands cost a fortune. These do not. Um, and they make a perfect uh, Christmas gift for your friends or even family or even spouse. And here's the deal. If you go to trymiracle.com slash conservative today, not only will you save 40% off with promo code conservative. So it's both the URL is trymiracle.com slash conservative and promo code conservative. 40% off. You'll get three free towels. And then save an extra 20% off. And the towels have that same technology as well. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made by going to trymiracle.com slash conservative, promo code conservative. So folks, it's not even like, oh, let's wait until we finish the the regular budget bills, okay? So what they're going to tell you is, no, 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 Daniel, here's the plan. Let me just get ahead of this because I know you guys are smart and can handle in-depth analysis. Here's what they're saying. No, this is different. You see, everyone's scared of a full government shutdown. So what we're trying to do is first have four bills that are more like, you know, less controversial but more needed. They're vital functions. So we'll get that out of the way, negotiate with the Senate, have that funded, and then we could have – uh, you know, government funding fight maybe over the DOJ and HHS um, without having these other things hostage. So what they're doing is the, the, they're having the four bills expire two weeks earlier. And it's agriculture, energy and water, military construction and VA, and transportation HUD. Okay? So transportation, you got the FAA there. Okay, we don't want that to shut down. You got the veter- veterans. That's out of the way. Now, what's not out of the way is the military. Okay? But that's what they'll say, that they're trying to, no, no, trust us. Next time we'll fight because we're going to do it cleverly. Here's the problem. It's not about any strategy. As I said before, it's not about a timing, a packaging. It's all about the fact that they fear a partial Temporary lapse in federal funding more than they fear our future sovereignty, security, society, economy, prosperity, or the breakdown of of civil order. They fear, they have a maniacal fear of a government shutdown, and they have telegraphed that to the Democrats, and the Democrats know that. And despite coming in with much gusto, the perception that this is the most conservative, aggressive House GOP ever. Nothing has changed. And then they got rid of McCarthy and like, oh, well, maybe Mike Johnson, he's going to instill the fear of God in these Democrats. No, they know he fears a government shutdown even more than Kevin McCarthy probably because, you know, he's he's not as transactional, which could be good, but it could also be bad. And here we're left with the fact that Democrats know that no matter what they do, 
No matter how destructive, illegal, harmful, unconstitutional, Biden could create his his own visa system, extra statutorily, outside of Congress, and Republicans will have a budget deadline come up, and they will not say, we will not fund this one hour longer, and said, oh my gosh, we're reaching the deadline, we have to avert a shutdown. So, Nothing is going to change in January, February, just like it didn't change in November. It doesn't matter. But the only thing that did change is that whereas McCarthy would have been at the end of his rope, here were like, oh, well, we got to give Mike Johnson a chance. You know, we had this disruption. The uh, house shut down for a month. So now we're, we, we got to give more time to pass each appropriation bill. The problem is we're not even passing good appropriation bills because all of our amendments are getting voted down. Every Democrat along with a certain number of Republicans. As you saw, we couldn't even get get the House Republicans to, um, you know, to, uh, to be willing to defund the headquarters of the FBI. Forget about even the policies, but even, even the headquarters. It's unbelievable. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't relate to it. So every one of these amendments are getting voted down. Everything we... Now, really, this should be in the base of the bill put out in front of the GOP conference as a take-it-or-leave-it proposition once it's voted out from the Rules Committee. But instead, they're like, we need an open amendment process. But like, Dude, that was just our talking point when the left part of the conference controlled leadership. But, you know, under these circumstances, if the process of a closed bill helps us, I want that. I want outcomes. I'm sick of hearing about, oh, we had a bunch of amendments. Yeah. And then the rhinos voted them all down. So you get a bad bill. There's nothing to negotiate with the Democrats over because you're getting passing out bad bills. Oh, you know, we don't want the pre-Christmas crunch of an omnibus. So we're going to have two bad bills before President's Day. It's like, really? This is all to say that nothing has changed. Trump has not changed the party one iota. And remember, this is the House GOP, which is exponentially more conservative, so to speak, than the Senate GOP and the and the governors. It just goes downhill from there. The party has not changed. What you see are a bunch of circle jerks in conservative media that are more aggressive in their rhetoric but it goes to nowhere. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. And it's all the Overton window shifting. So, in other words, the only thing that has changed over the last 10 years is the consequences of the GOP failure is now deadly because the Democrat policies are more radical and more successful in implementation, and all the chickens of all those decades' worth of control of media and academia and government agencies and what you know, weaponizing them, it's all coming home to roost. So now we're kinetically dealing with what we potentially were fearful of all these years, whether it's the debt and inflation and, and the economic policies of all the spending, whether it's the open borders, it's gotten so bad. Yeah, Republicans will more aggressively talk about the border, but now the solutions need need to be much greater. In other words, it's all an optical illusion when you think that the Republicans have gotten more aggressive or the conservative movement has gotten better. We know what time it is. No. The operative point is the gap between what Republicans are actually accomplishing at a given time relative to what needs to be done. So for example, let's say we need a five or you know, 15 years ago, we needed a five on immigration, on spending. And Republicans were at a two. You'll be like, oh man, you know, Republicans, uh, they're horrible. So now Republicans are, let's say they're at a five. And we're like, man, look, we're really changing the party. It's great. 
Yeah. But what we need now because of the cumulative effects of the failures for so long is a 10. So the gap between what is needed and what they're doing might even be greater than it was before. We have not changed one iota. And everyone's talking about, well, we're disrupting. We're disrupting. You're not disrupting anything. Vivek Ramaswampy getting up there in a debate and and like being mean to a random uh, NBC reporter for a minute is not disrupting anything. The disruption would be grinding the government to a halt while we have a national debate over these issues. Articulate voices talking about the destruction of inflation and the Green New Deal and the political targeting and the border and the crime. But no, it's like, ah, we can't have a government shut down. So they get what they want. The Democrat policies continue unabated. You might have your shows and your viral moments and your this and that. Nothing has changed. And, and, and as I've noted, this is to a large degree because of Trump's endorsements. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm sorry. That's how it is. I wish it weren't like that. But even the candidates slated for the future are largely the same people. So it's not even like, yeah, it will take time, but all the new candidates at least are good. Nope. No, they're not. No, they're not. So that's where we are with the budget. So we're going to have a complete capitulation. Nothing on the border. Nothing. And it reauthorizes the pandemic and hazard... Yeah, I mean, we were talking about that for several months, the need to hold that hostage. They can't even allow that to uh, to continue. I, I don't know what to say. I just don't know. I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand what anyone's solution to. What is their solution? We, you, you can't run or hide from the border invasion. You can't run or hide from the ubiquitous Hamas Islamic Jihad that's in our country. You can't run in, or hide from the inflation that's going to spiral because of the degenerative vicious cycle of more debt issuance. The Chinese are divesting from the treasuries. By the way, there was a whole story. The feds had to beg. They had to keep raising rates because... People, they, they don't have enough buyers of the treasuries. There's so much debt to service. You know what happens then? That is the definition of inflation. We don't have any serious voices. And, and, and then the final thing is, um, okay, Daniel, but we have to wait another year. Uh, Trump's going to be president and everything will be good. Okay, let, let's just indulge that point for a minute. Let, let's forget about Trump. Let's just say any Republican president even the likelihood that they'll win at this point. But assuming that. So Republicans, let's say best case scenario, and by the way, the elections we've seen so far don't point to such a result, but they win the House, they win the Senate, they win the presidency. But they won't have 60 votes in the Senate. So the Democrats will filibuster. So let's say you pass best case scenario, we pass a great budget bill, funding the good things, defunding the bad things out of the House. Now, that's hard enough, as we see, because we, we don't even have a majority of House, you know, 218 conservative House members. But that's a separate point. Let's say we do. Goes to the Senate. Democrats under Schumer will just filibuster it. They'll easily have a lot more than 41. They'll have at least 47, 48, 49. So they'll certainly have a strong minority to filibuster. And Republicans are like, you can't have a shutdown. I don't need to speculate. We have proof of concept. This is what happened under Trump in 2017 and 2018 when they had the trifecta and Trump is so scared of a government shutdown. This is what we had. Nothing changed. And we had the worst budget bills that set the stage for the, for the economic situation we're in today. Everyone's like, oh, the economy was great. Yeah, but we did all the spending there. There's an 18-month lag. Had Trump had a second term, he would have been Settled with the same thing from it was his own doing. I'm sorry. That's the facts. It's like you have a bunch of spending right before he leaves office, and then it's like, oh, Biden inflation. Dude, I mean, everyone knows that it, there's about an 18 month lag. Doesn't mean Biden obviously didn't make things worse and did things Trump wouldn't have done. But let's not forget that. 
that was when they had control of all three branches. So what's going to change? Nothing will change. And by the way, there's another example from Trump. I keep pointing out how Trump, um, when he's confronted with a media narrative, people dying of COVID, ventilators, vaccines, okay? We need federal reserve rates at near zero. We can't have a government shutdown. We can't have debt default. How does, what does Trump do? Rather than punching through the narrative, he echoes it. If he's confronted, I always said, don't watch him at a rally when he's in front of a conservative audience. Watch him when he's confronted in a one-on-one interview and watch how he will accept the premise. Trump was asked recently over the weekend about what was going on in Israel. I want you guys to take a listen right here what he had to say. It's very hard. It's, there is no hatred like the Palestinian hatred of Israel and Jewish people and probably the other way around also. I don't know. You know, it's not as obvious, but probably that's it, too. So sometimes you have to let things play out and you have to see where it, where it ends. The sad part is there would have never been an attack on Israel and there would have never been a counterattack on Gaza. Yeah. I mean, Gaza, what's happening to Gaza? It's just unbelievable. You've seen the images. You've no, heard the horrible. stories. No, it's horrible. It's horrible on both sides. Uh, it would have never happened. Okay, folks, so you heard that. You heard that. He made the moral equivalence. Oh, there's hate on both sides. Yeah, the Jews probably feel the same. Actually, no. One side lives in harmony, has two million Arabs inside of Israel that were given jobs and citizenship and some serve in the military. And they've given them all the chances to succeed. And one will fight to annihilate the other. You see the Israeli soldiers, even as they're in Gaza, they're handing out water to civilians. They're frankly losing extra, taking extra casualties to fight it in a politically correct way. And all I have to say, oh, none of it would have happened on my watch. That's what it's all about. It's not about a fixed right and wrong what ought to happen. It's like, well, I none, there's two sides that fight, like kind of that liberal dogma. But it wouldn't have happened under me. Now, yeah, I mean, his policies were better than Biden's. And I bring this up because he was the most pro-Israel president ever. I bring it up even on issues that I know he's good on. Like, you had that with the border when a, when a, a reporter was like, gee, are you saying you're going to send troops to the border? Oh, no, I never said that, even though he did. And he was right to say that. But he, But he backed off because... He was scared of the media narrative. He didn't know how to intellectually punch through it. That's what bothers me. Like, you could say there's a couple issues he's bad on. Okay, the vaccines, whatever, fine. Maybe you could, everything else will be good. But no, when you're confronted with an inflection moment, he doesn't understand an issue. He doesn't have that intellectual clarity. I was very surprised by that, what he said. And by the way, dude, there's, I mean, at a time when, it's all one-sided, and not just in Israel. You had this massive Hamas rally in Austin, Texas. Yes, right here in Texas. It's not just a New York-San Francisco problem. I know some of you will say, well, Austin is San Francisco. Yeah, but, I mean, that's what we've done to our major cities in red states. They're as bad as blue states. This is a big problem. This is a big, big problem, and we need... Bigger solutions for it. And by the way, just, just again, the Overton window. This is from Allie Bradley. CBP sources confirm the 17-year-old driver responsible for causing the head-on crash that left eight people dead, including an innocent couple from Georgia. So this illegal alien, 17-year-old, crashed in South Texas, killed eight Americans, including a couple from Georgia, he was ordered removed by a judge. He stayed in the U.S. and was in federal custody, released to his mother in Houston seven months before the crash. Why was his mother in Houston? So she's allowed to be in there. Records show Luis Alfredo Mencias Escobar is from Honduras, crossed into Eagle Pass back in April of 2019. If you remember, that was the Trump surge at the border that everyone forgot about, but we reported incessantly for 18 months on that. He was released on a notice to appear. 
the catch and release was shut down by COVID. Trump released just as many people per capita. Obviously, you know, again, just like the, the budget numbers, the Overton window grows. So the spending under Biden built off of the Trump baseline. So the immigration numbers, too. But that guy was brought in under Trump unnoticed to appear. But I'm not supposed to notice these things because it's not very profitable in my industry to point that out. God forbid should we have someone to do to America what he did in Florida. No, 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 no. That's that's terrible. Again, to me, that's not the only solution. It's not even the, the main solution. But I'm just telling you, unless you change leadership from the top, you're not going to change anything in this party. I don't think you're ever going to change it. But we'll be like, eh, you know, presidential election screwed up. They're not going to win anyway. Let's focus local. And I'm going to continue to do that. But I'm just warning you, there's not much to focus on local because we don't have the ability to elect people like that in red states when we we basically glorify Elise Stefanik's and, you know, Christy Gnomes, and now DeSantis is, may as well be a piece of garbage. And by the way, the biggest proof that the Trump establishment has merged into one thing, Nikki Haley is dumping $10 million against DeSantis in Iowa, New Hampshire. Now, ask yourself this question. How, why would donors dump in all that money? She has no path to beating Trump. Okay, it's hard enough for DeSantis, but Haley, none of the Trump voters and, and almost all the DeSantis voters will not vote for her. All she could do is coalesce kind of that liberal, 20% liberal wing of the Republican Party. But aside from that, she has no path. The only thing she can do is divide the anti-Trump vote and ensure Trump wins. Now, it would be one thing if Nikki Haley loved Trump, but as we well know, privately, she hates his guts and she hates his supporters. And she hates what everything you and I stand for. But yet, she, she refuses to say a word about Trump. It's all attacking DeSantis, whereas DeSantis focuses on the prize. He's the only one who's trying to at least win. Everyone else is, is putting their own personal things ahead of it. See, there's this moral hazard. The only way you could beat Trump is if everyone who doesn't like him for various reasons would unite. But all the establishment people, they're more scared of DeSantis than they are Trump for several reasons. Number one, proof is in the pudding. Over the last nine years, the establishment still controls the party. Because Trump is so unfocused and undisciplined and doesn't even know what he's saying, so he does his thing off to the side, and it doesn't grab the reins of policy away from the establishment. They're still running the party. It's the same modus operandi. Has not changed. If DeSantis were to become leader of the party, it's game over. He would control the intellectual space, the policy space, the implementation space. They can't have that. Number two is there's a moral hazard that if you're an establishment guy, you're going to support Trump. Why? Because you know he's not going to win the general election. So he goes away, and then you, if you're Nikki Haley, you know, you could build off of that and run again next time. Whereas if DeSantis wins the primary, it's over. There's no avenue for a Christy Nome, a Nikki Haley, or any of these clowns. They're boxed out. It's disgusting. See, again, if you're, like, Vivek at least... He's openly playing interference for Trump. So I understand that. He likes Trump. Okay, fine. But Nikki hates Trump, but is still playing interference for him. The establishment is resigned to him. I'm just telling a lot of people like, no, the establishment wants dissenters. But then why would they put $10 million in against him? Makes no sense. And it's not like you can tell me, well, no, they like Nikki Haley and they think that she could beat Trump. There's no path. Right? I would never vote for her. I'm sure all of you would never vote for her. She cannot grow beyond her numbers. They will not support her. So, folks, this is where we are. Nothing has changed, and we don't even have an avenue to changing until Trump's wet blanket smothering 
our movement is is attenuated. And I, I just I just don't know how we do that. I don't know how we do that. So, folks, it appears Chip is on the line here, and I want to get his perspective on nothing changing, nothing changing. And speaking of nothing changing, we need revival. I mean, that's that's really what it is. And there's a great story about revival and redemption I just want to pitch to you guys. I know we talked about this last week, but our very own Phil Robertson. We now have a, a movie out, The Blind, a Phil Robertson story. It's not a Blaze production, but we are offering it for $19.99 at blazetv.com slash theblind. Uh, too many times in Hollywood, it's just been lacking real stories of redemption. This is something that's just very poignant to a lot of people. Uh, the man, the legend, everything behind him. It's it's just a great, great uh, movie. I'm about halfway in between. It's up on my computer now, my, my desktop. But, um, you know, it is an hour, so we can't include it as part of the subscription. But... You know, if you want to see it on the Blaze, blazetv.com slash the blind for $19.99 today. All right. So, so folks, I'll never forget years ago, um, Chip and I were talking and we say, like, you know, name one issue where we've advanced the ball and moved forward. And here we are. We've gone through so much. We've gone through Trump. This was before Trump. We've gone through new speakers. We've gone through cathartic moments in this country. Sovereignty, security, society, inflation, COVID fascism, Hamas insurrection. I mean, everything going on, and we cannot find one single issue that will catalyze this party into a cathartic moment to be like, oh my gosh, I am finally scared of something more than I'm scared of a temporary partial lapse in federal funding. I don't know what it's going to take, but Chip is headed into... Congress right now, he's on the Rules Committee, so they're going to mark this up tonight. No one more important to to talk to than Chip Roy. Hey, Chip, I wish we were talking under better circumstances, but thanks for making the time. Well, look, I'm happy to be on, Daniel. And uh, as you and I, as you know, and as your listeners know, um, you know, we have to stay focused on what we're trying to do for our kids and our grandkids. I'm not going to relent no matter who's sitting in the speaker's chair, no matter who's in the White House. I called Trump out when he needed to be called out for spending. I praised Trump when he was doing good things. I called out Kevin. I praised Kevin. And I can promise you, I'll praise Mike, well, like when he offered an uh, Israel uh, funding bill that was paid for uh, using the existing IRS expansion fund. And I'm going to call out BS when I see it. And this continuing resolution is BS of the epic swamp variety. And anybody that's saying otherwise is either being untruthful about what it does or is blinded by random shiny objects like, oh, my God, we can't have an omnibus before Christmas, when, in <laughs> fact, the speaker would have the power to say, oh, I don't know, what would it... We're not, not going to do anything. It, it's like, no, no omnibus before Christmas, but two before President's Day. It's not the time, it's not the process, it's not the bill, it's the policies. And, Chip, doesn't this all boil down to one thing? Okay, again, it's not the packaging it's not, we're, we're all open to multi, a multitude of ways to accomplish it. It's that ultimately they will not go over a deadline, whatever it is, however you do it, and they have telegraphed that fear to Democrats. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, look, the, we had a moment uh, around October 1st when a significant number of who you might call our more moderate members of the conference, because of the nature of how bad the border situation was, were willing to cross that line. We had worked it in a way that I'd never seen before. Unfortunately, some of my conservative colleagues uh, didn't think it was good enough, and they blocked it. And then they got to the place where they then vacated the chair. All right, fine. Now let's move forward. Here we are. We went through all that. Now we've got a new speaker. Well, guess what? We're doing the same stupid crap. <laughs> is a continuing resolution that spends at the Pelosi policy and funding levels. Okay, I just want everybody to understand that. This perpetuates Pelosi's spending levels. It perpetuates Pelosi's policies. And it does so without any win whatsoever. What we were trying to do in the idea of this bifurcated CR was to do one simple thing. Isolate DHS and DOJ for the reason you just articulated, Daniel. Our guys freak out anytime there's, quote, government shutdown. Mainly because I think they're just freaking like political wusses. 
And so what are they going to do? They're going to say, well, we're going to bifurcate this with, with a whole package of, of uh, omnibus, you know, uh, of, of, of measures. And so we've got it not isolated on DHS and DOJ. So that's stupid thing number one. Stupid thing number two is what I already said. It spends at the Pelosi levels and perpetuates the Pelosi policy. Stupid thing number three is that we are uh, getting nothing on there in terms of Israel and Israel being paid for uh, or the uh, or the um, you know, we were going to have something in there, possibly of paying for the disaster FEMA spending back in yep. October one, which was another 16 billion. None of that. <clears throat> we're going to continue to perpetuate uh, the United Nations funding, including UNRWA, which means you're funding the Palestinians directly and indirectly to to uh, to fund Hamas against Israel. We're continuing to fund the United Nations broadly, the World Health Organization. We're continuing to fund stupid uh, old policies like uh, PAPA and, and BARDA, which are the perpetuations yep. of COVID tyranny health policies that allow these guys to continue to spread vaccines across the country and distribute vaccines, among other tyrannical policies. And, and the bottom line is, if you go checklist by checklist, and, and let me just be very clear, nothing on the border, nothing at all. Even I'm Daniel, impressed. I was willing to I was willing to sit down and talk about whether we could consider we will give something that's pretty weak in order to move the ball down the field so long as we're getting cuts and setting up a fight on the border. Yes. But all this is is typical swamp nonsense. And with all due respect to Mike and with all due respect to anybody that is working in his orbit, this crap that we're going to avoid an omni and then set up a fight in January is completely belied by the history and the facts that are in yes. front of us. You're not going to pick a fight in January when you're in the middle of the frigging presidential primaries. You're not going to pick a fight right before the primaries for the members of Congress who don't even want to have a shutdown fight in the first place. You're not going to pick a fight on Ukraine when you don't even have Republican support for Ukraine at all, much less be able to use it to leverage it for border security. These guys have got to understand that when you have a moment like this moment, when the government is set to have funding expire on Saturday, we should get something for it. But here we sit in the same freaking position we usually are in. But, but this is what scares me. It, it's like, I, I understand, okay, they're not going to want to go really take a hatchet to the FBI. I, I, I don't agree with it. But because they haven't articulated, I mean, the stuff that the FBI is doing is unbelievable, especially given the real terror threat that we now have throughout our country. But I, I, I kind of get the institutional reluctance from Republicans than they were thinking on law enforcement, FBI. But when it comes to things like the border, you're never going to get in a more important, imminent issue, a winning issue politically. And then, like, like you said, even to defund Hamas. I mean, again, this is something that kind of a little bit divides the Democrats, unites Republicans. There's a few things that do. Nothing. What that tells me is that there is no issue, no matter the importance or political auspicious nature of it, that will get them to unify behind a brinkmanship. And if you don't do that, you're done, because, Chip, isn't it true that to the extent that we can wait another 15 months for inflation and border and national security, which we can't. But, okay, best case scenario, they win the presidency, they win the House, they win the Senate, which is a very dubious uh, assumption based on recent elections. But okay, they're not going to get 60 votes in the Senate. So you're going to have to have the willingness to fight at some point on a budget. But if they make it clear to Democrats that you cannot have a shutdown ever, that that is the most important thing to avert that degree of shutdown, but continue the real social compact shutdown. So Chip, isn't it true we're always going to have to give the Dems what they want, even if you have the trifecta. No, you're exactly right. I mean, if you're going to unilaterally disarm and you're going to tell the world under no circumstances, will you be willing to uh, uh, not fund the government because there are priorities that you think the American people demand that we address? Then what you're sending, the signal you're sending to not just Democrats, but everybody in town is Get whatever you want, you know, because at the end of the day, we're not going to use any of the leverage of the power of the purse to extract change from an administration that is out of control. I mean, you know, we're not talking about, oh, gosh, you know, you know, we, we just didn't get the exact right tax rate. Man, yeah. we're really mad about it. We're not talking about just some random policies. We're not talking about whether a road is, 
you know, funded or built the right way. We're talking about existential threats, like dozens of them. We're talking about you being made a felon because you have a gun that had a piece that was attached to it that used to be legal and some bureaucrat said it's not. Right? That alone. Right? We're, we're talking about funding Hamas. We're, we're talking about funding a DHS secretary that is elect, has let millions of people into the United States. We're talking about funding an education system, which absolutely refuses to establish with moral clarity where we should stand with respect to Israel and allowing all of this crap going on on campuses and continuing to fund the destruction of the American mind and our youth to believe in Western civilization. We're just going to continue to fund that. It's mind-blowing. And, Daniel, what I've been telling everybody in town, whether it's Kevin, Mike, or anybody else, I'm not asking to solve all of those problems at once. But something. I'm asking you to solve one of them. Yes. Just one. One. Pick one. And you know what? Freaking actually stand up and fight. It's not like people, oh, like we flocked to the walls of the Alamo. So we could what? Pass a continuing resolution to fund our demise? I mean, I can't even put into words the absolute absurdity of what I'm actually seeing unfold this yep. fall. And, and, and frankly, with all due respect to some of my quote-unquote conservative friends, you made this bed. You created this environment. And so you know what? I'm looking at you now because yep. you own this. Yep. You want to go deal with this, then where are you going to be when this fight exists today, when we have a continuing resolution? You were all about the never see ours in September. Well, let me see if you're a never see our now. Oh, it's I'll interesting. I don't, I don't hear much about it. I mean, look, you had the balanced approach, which took the nature of the conference the way it was and tried to see how could we assert the most leverage. And, and yeah, I mean, people had a tantrum. We didn't want to sandbag it. We supported them. Okay, let's do it. But yep. then it's not about the man who's speaker. It's not about the process. This is what bothers me. I'm not hearing moral clarity on immigration, on subversion of Islamic, you know, Muslim Brotherhood groups, on the border. I mean, you just had 17-year-old illegal that killed eight Americans, including a couple from Georgia in, in Texas uh, in, that, in that crash. And this happens all the time, these car crashes. Um, we have, obviously, the FBI targeting uh, conservative military veterans. We have, um, you know... Like you mentioned, funding, we're still funding this Hamas stuff. I mean, just even say, all right, we're not going to fund Hamas. Okay, so it's just one thing. I'm not saying this was an important thing. It's just one thing. They will not do it because, oh, then maybe Democrats will say no and there'll be a government shutdown. Chip, what I find is lacking is the moral clarity. The Democrats pound the lectern and they sound like you, you know, but from the other side. They, they, they speak to the morality of their immorality. What I find with Republicans, and this is whoever the leader is, okay, we'll hold some culture votes, we'll have some amendments. It's like, dude, it, that's not the point. It's like, okay, that could be important if it leads up to something. Like, I want to ask right. you this. We have these open amendments. Okay, that's nice. But what I'm finding now is all the amendments get summarily defeated. Okay, I mean, this is what's happening. Now, we know we have to negotiate. We won't get everything. But every good amendment is getting defeated by your colleagues um, every Democrat and anywhere from 10 to 70 Republicans, depending on the issue, and you're left with a bill that doesn't have it. So what, where does that leave us? Well, and, and look, and I always like to try to present truth and facts, and I know what you're saying is correct in a general sense, but in a specific sense, I'm on the Rules Committee. We are getting some rules and some changes, uh, or I should say some policies adopted uh, that are good, right? So I had, for example, my amendment that I've offered in every appropriations bill that basically says we are not going to fund an implementation of President Biden's executive orders on climate change. I've managed to get that passed by voice vote or by actual uh, roll call vote on every single appropriations bill except for one. It went down one time. Well, so we're getting some wins, okay? And we're getting, by changing the process in January, we're actually getting votes on amendments. But let me tell you what's actually going on, though. The particularly post-Kevin, you've got appropriators and others that are frankly just kind of banding together to say, screw you, we're taking them down. Yep. And they're taking down a lot of the good amendments. For example, the FBI headquarters restriction that Matt Gates offered to limit the funding uh, for the uh, general government to be used to do any of the FBI headquarters being built in Maryland. That went down by, I think, 140. We found 140 votes for it, lost 70 Republicans. Democrats voted against it. It went down. 
So those kinds of things are occurring on a regular basis. Um, and so that's where the problem exists. And a lot of my Republican colleagues are saying, what are you doing making me vote on all these tough things, these tough issues? And to my answer to that is, one, they're important to a lot of us. Our voters care about these issues. Number two, uh, if we could actually come to an agreement on how we're going to go get some big wins, maybe I'd be, feel okay about giving yes. you a hall pass on something like, you know, your 12th vote on some sort of abortion funding. But you know what? I'm tired of playing these games. When are we going to get one win? One. Yes. You know, I mean, like, seriously, let's be as objective as we can. 11 months into this Congress, what have we accomplished that's meaningful? Over $4 trillion of debt increase, probably closer to five or six when it's all said and done, given the interest uh, expense going up. A CR on October 1st for 45 days at the Pelosi spending levels. A new speaker that is now offering a 60 to 75 day extension of those same terrible spending levels and policies. And nothing else. Nothing. Chip, let me ask you this. Do do you still have the rules committee agreement that you secured with the Kevin McCarthy speakership that you need um, a certain number of Republican votes to move a bill. Cause right now you're going to vote tonight on this CR to, to pass it out to the floor. You're obviously opposed to it. Um, to, to, what circumstances under what circumstances could you defeat it? And does that same uh, arrangement apply or is it null and void? So, we're still trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do this afternoon. Uh, there's a couple different ideas and thoughts, and I can't fully telegraph them all here publicly, but there are questions involving the rules, right? There's a historic way in which we basically set aside points of order. For example, whether you're legislating on appropriations. And by the way, that cuts both ways. Sometimes you might want to legislate on appropriations. Sure. <laughs> sometimes you might not. It's up to the majority. Uh, I think we hang ourselves with that sometimes. But when it's being used against me, then I kind of want to say what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So you yep. want to stick the farm bill authorization on the back of an appropriations continuing resolution. Well, why don't I say no to that? So yep. there's going to be some questions like that that we're addressing today, which is a little in the weeds. But the main point is we do have some leverage with respect to the rule. And I, for one, intend to use that leverage, whether it's, um, you know, I haven't quite figured out exactly when committee or floor or both. I got to talk to colleagues before I get in front of that, but we've got to use that leverage to force change. But we've got to throw everything we've got at stopping this bill because it's just flat out un- indefensibly terrible. This is the last chance, really, before 15 months from now to ever change anything, to bring anything to the forefront. You don't do it now, it doesn't get done. And then there's frankly no purpose to Republicans controlling the House anyway. So, I mean, this I, is, this I, is I, it. I think, I think there's some truth to that. I will say this. Um, if we fail and if this thing, CR ends up moving through, I'm going to uh, try to give the benefit of the doubt to Mike that what he's saying and trying to get us to support it, which I reject, by the way, wholeheartedly, I reject it. But he's saying, you know, well, you know, trust me, I've only been in office for a few weeks. Give me this one and let me get to January to try to use this yep. moment to then say no more CRs. I'm going to force appropriations bills to get done. It won't be an omnibus. My but, point is, Mike, I just straight up don't believe you. I mean, that's not, I, I, and that's I not don't, a question and, and, of— uh, and, and Chip, here's, here's why. Here's what's bothering me. Because I'm not seeing any evidence that there's that pounding of the lectern speaking to the core of the issues. We well, will not but Daniel, fund— I would say it— Yeah. Daniel, I would say it a slightly different way, because I want to be very careful here, because you know we're talking about people and their honor, what they would do or not do, and we don't have a lot of evidence from Mike yet, right? So— but what I want to say is, to your point, even if he pounds the lecture, even if he's like Chip Roy style up there saying, oh, my dead body, we're not going to do this. Okay, great. I'd love to see that. But here's my problem. If you're walking away from the ability to fight right now on November, whatever <laughs> today is, right, the November 13th, okay, and we're we've government funding expires, why would you be willing to roll moderates or anybody else who are unwilling to shut the government down on January 19th, parts of it, or February 2nd, the other parts of it, 
if we haven't reached agreement on appropriations bills? Why would you be willing to roll them then if you're not willing to deal with it now? That's my question. I don't understand that. I don't see it. And even if I accept it, let me just say it here on the record. Do you believe we're going to come to some magic epiphany and agreement on these appropriations bills and conference committee, Daniel? Do you think Democrats are going to join us and that Republicans are going to say, sure, if out of conference committee. You're never going to do it. Abortion tourism does not include transgender surgery, does not include an end to DEI and critical race theory, does not refocus our military on killing people and blowing stuff up rather than being social engineering. Because that's what we tried to do in DOD approves, and frankly, we did a pretty good job. But in conference committee, you know what will happen. And then that gets shoved right back down our throats. And so I'm just saying, so all right, in, in January, when they strip all that out, and Chip Roy says, no, I'm not voting for a Defense Department for $28 billion for you to continue to do this garbage, then what? Either conservatives get rolled, or we have an impasse. And if we have an impasse, then what? They're scared. The bottom line is, and this is what I want to get across, it's not about process. It's not about this type of bill at this time. Uh, I like it before MLK Day rather than Christmas time. It just doesn't matter. It's the policy that matters, and the policy only gets through if you telegraph to the Democrats that this is a new house uh, that, that we care more about the country than we do a partial government shutdown. That's not the point of it, but that's not going to stop us. And, and by the way, I, I'm, Chip, I'm sure you remember this around April, March, April time. Democrats started to fear with the debt ceiling that this was a new house. And they were actually starting to get a little bit scared. And then somehow we just gave it away yep. to them. Um, if, if, you, if there's 10 issues, some of our issues are more powerful than others, are more you know, etched in the public consciousness. I would say the border is, is easier for them to understand than some others. But you got to pick one of them or two of them right. and be willing to have a fight. They're not because they're scared of a shutdown. So that point needs to be brought out. I appreciate your time for that. Chip, there's one thing I got to ask you about. You're, you don't live too far from Austin. I saw a massive Hamas rally, not in San Francisco, not in New York. I mean, it was there too, but in Austin. What the heck? Yeah, I don't know how to put it into words other than what I said before. We've been uh, killing our country uh, through our education system uh, and, frankly, through social media and and apps like TikTok and otherwise, putting poison in the minds of our kids. And we've been doing it for so long. The problem with Texas isn't that California is moving to Texas. The problem with Texas is our own education system polluting the minds of Texas. So the vast majority of Americans think that's garbage. And the vast majority of Texans think that's garbage. But last night, you know where I was when that rally was going on with those Palestinians up there near UT in the middle of Austin over on the east side or wherever the heck they were? I was down at a vigil for two police officers, one who was killed in the line of duty, shot, um, another one who was shot and was fighting for his life in a hospital, another cop who committed suicide uh, the next day uh, for a variety of reasons, including the pressures of not having people behind the cops, and another police officer was killed a retired police officer, recently retired, was killed in a car accident, all within 48 hours. I was down at a vigil trying to make sure our law enforcement community knows that the vast majority of us stand with them and that it's not these pinheads who are running around because they get on social media and they want to have a cause going around talking about Hamas and don't understand what's actually going on in the war and that Hamas wants to eradicate not just Israel but Jews. Not a two-state solution they want. They want a one-state solution that wipes Israel off the state of the map And these are people who are completely opposed to Western civilization and our values. And we need to recognize it and actually act like it. So I don't know what to say about those pinheads in Austin. Austin's got a lot of pinheads. But, uh, you know, I represent the God-fearing people of the entire district of Central Texas. And there's a lot of freedom-loving Texans who think that's all garbage. Yep, we need our own sanctuary from this. We need better people to, to fight this. Thanks, as always. Give them hell and keep us updated. Thanks, Daniel. God bless. Take care. So again, that was Chip Roy on his way back from the airport. Just landed in, uh, well, I don't know, Dulles or Reagan. I'm not sure which one he takes there, but he's headed to the Rules Committee. And yeah, I mean, you don't have members speak the way he does. That This is the problem. 
you look at these guys, whatever, whoever they are, we don't have leaders like a Chuck Schumer or a Nancy Pelosi that they, they, they speak to the cause. Remember how I played that clip from Hakeem Jeffries when, you know, he he hijacked the ceremony of, of Mike Johnson for a speaker and he spoke for like 15 minutes and just talked about all of his priorities. We don't have that. They talk about process and you, you don't win any fight with that. And, you know, the last thing Chip mentioned about Texas's education system, you th- think, all right, well, OK, it's all lost. Forget it. Let's focus on the red states. Well, yeah, I mean, the red states, the public schools look like the blue states. And then the one person that's trying to change education in the state, we shun him and shadow ban him from conservative media because, God forbid, should we have more of that and improve on Florida? We want more uh, Christy Nome and Greg Abbott and Donald Trump, for that matter. So we get what we get. And I I. Honestly, I'm, I'm running out of options. I have a lot of ideas if we had a movement, but absent a movement, I don't know what you do. So this is just the way it's going to be. Let me know your questions. If you disagree, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. we got a lot more coming later this week. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we surge past other Teletubbies who disguise their shows and thoughts as conservatives. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.